I'm the doctor, by the way. You're listening to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's effectively making a documentary about the making of the documentary. That's a bit meta. We're back again as we look to explore those sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord, as played by Paul McGann. I'm Rebecca Chapman. And I'm Kenny Smith, and you join us as we resume our quest to feature the Eighth Doctor's exploits, whether on screen, in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, magazines, and this week, a making of documentary with lots of extra fun. <laughs> At least it wasn't something silly like an Easter egg this time. <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, Dr. Easter eggs, I remember those. I did have a few. In fact, I kept the boxes. I ate the chocolate, but I kept the boxes in the loft. And one of them actually Aww. came with like a, a Dalek voice thing. You push it and it just says exterminate. So every now and then, <laughs> I, sort of, I keep it in my cupboard, where I have my Dr. Who cupboard behind me. And I bump it, and then you just hear Nick Briggs' voices coming out going, Exterminate! Back to the time. <laughs> I am. No, it's not. It's my puppy one. It's not that one we want. Exterminate! Oh, that's exterminate! There we go. That's what we want. We want lots of extermination. Well, we don't really want lots of extermination. <laughs> That'd be a bit silly. and No, wouldn't it? Be it a bit serious. Be. It'd just be, yeah, be too serious. We don't want real life exterminations and too many no, people to exterminate. Definitely not. No. Definitely not. Definitely, definitely, definitely not. That sounded like I was doing a song there, but I wasn't actually. Anyway, how are you? Are you enjoying our twice weekly schedule? Uh, yeah, I am enjoying it. Unfortunately, I've got a cold at the moment, which doesn't help, but you know. Yeah. You sound better than I did. Yeah, I was really bad a couple of days ago, but yeah. um, I seem to be coming out the other side now, thankfully. That's good. What the phlegm's coming out the other? The snot's coming out the other side. No, if it's no, coming out, your I meant bottom out the other side. Out the other side of the illness. Oh right, sorry. <laughs> I thought you meant like snot's coming out your bottom. Ugh. No, can you imagine? <laughs> I'm not going to go there. We'll just move on no. very, very yeah. swiftly. Please. No, <laughs> quite. Now you know me. I keep so much Doctor Who related stuff and never throw it away. And you should see my loft. I'm amazed it's not given way yet, and the roof's collapsed. But thankfully, <laughs> it hasn't. But anyway. Uh, this week, we're going to be chatting with our old pal, Matthew Jacobs, as we're going to be chatting about his new documentary, Doctor Who Am I?, which he has made with his co-producer, Vanessa Yule, who is of Scottish descent. So yet again, more Scottish people popping up, although she does have a, a stateside accent. But yes, we're going to have a wee chat with them. And I have the press release that came out when Doctor Who Am I?, that's quite a quite a subtle reference to the TV movie with McGann's first lines who um uh, uh, which we heard at the start of the episode anyway that wasn't a very good version of him. how's that reading voice of yours because you could tell us all about this press release I will do my best but like I said I do have a cold so if it sounds terrible I apologise in advance <laughs> so the new documentary Doctor Who Am I to receive a world premiere at Sci-Fi London on the 21st of May 2022, Doctor Who Am I will premiere at the Sci-Fi London Film Festival in a hotly anticipated screening attended by the filmmakers Vanessa Yule and Matthew Jacobs, screenwriter of Doctor Who, Young Indiana Jones and Paper House. Doctor Who is truly a phenomenon. It is listed in the Guinness World Records as the longest running science fiction television show in the world as well as being the most successful sci-fi series of all time, beating even Star Trek. 
Get it up, Eugene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek. Our <laughs> show wins. Aficionados will recall the mid-90s lulling production of the show, a time when Paul McGann was revealed as the eighth Doctor in the 1996 TV film made by the BBC, Universal Studios and Fox Broadcasting Network. The success of this film would dictate the fate of the series being picked up by Fox, but when the Doctor infamously kissed his assistant Grace Halloway and the suggestion that he was half-human was implied, there was an outcry from fans who did not take kindly to such revelations. Matthew Jacobs is the screenwriter at... Ah! Cats! <laughs> Matthew Jacobs is the screenwriter of the television film, and his friend, documentary filmmaker Vanessa Yule, follows him as he is reluctantly pulled back into the fandom that universally panned his writing and narrative twists in 1996. In a film that is both funny and moving, the American Hooniverse is explored during the biggest conventions dedicated to the cult of the Doctor. Jacob's journey is often hilarious and emotionally perilous, but it also sparks a provocative and touching showdown between American Doctor Who fans and the writer himself. Paul McGann, Daphne Ashbrook, Eric Roberts and many others offer Jacob words of wisdom and help him realise just how personal and ambivalently entangled the show has been in his life. Matthew unexpectedly finds himself in a kindred part of his close-knit yet vast family of fans. Yule's directional debut documentary addresses the desire to belong to a community and how people can become nourished and enriched by the experience. Doctor Who fans will delight in this feature, but the themes are universal and the emotion conveyed is so heartwarming that one doesn't have to be a die-hard fan to enjoy this spectacle and see it first as it sets out on its tour of international film festivals. Whoa, that was a lot. Can we hear the trailer? Yes, absolutely. Let's like, like, let you get your breath back and we'll put it on now. This is the best place to drown your sorrows. You know, 3,000 Hoovians and lots and lots of booze. Ah, uh, the American fans. They are the diehards. Uh, Balls to the wall kind of attitude. All through medical school, I was still kind of the, the closet Hoovian. They have, we're just a normal couple. We just got married two years ago. As I was writing that doctor, I was pouring myself into that character. I was pouring my experience of the Doctor as a child and all the wit and all the warmth and all that sort of love that the Doctor has of humans. I was pouring into this character and I was loving doing it. I was putting myself on the line there. Someone wrote to me and said, you've got it the wrong way around. Yeah. yeah. I didn't. Pedants. Don't even love them. My doctor, the eighth doctor, has been mainly on audio all these years. Right. So I play the doctor on the radio. And you've been alive for, as a doctor, you've been alive for longer than any other doctor. The longest and the shortest. Yeah. It's become. Hey there. Hey, I'm back. Oh, this is hard to find. And look at that. No sex, please. He's British. No sex, please. He's Matthew Jacobs. Yes, okay. The nature of obsessive zealot fandom is something I'm interested in. Yeah, because there are people that that's what they do all year round. Exactly. Every day. And we're cogs in that wheel. Yeah. Well, it's finally coming to cinemas and DVD and Blu-ray. 
So let's hear from Matthew and Vanessa. And of course, Matthew sent his best wishes because obviously you were ill with cold when I had to do this interview earlier this week. I know, and I felt so bad. Yeah, but anyway, Matthew's a lovely fella and Vanessa's lovely too. And uh, here's how it sounded. Well, hi Kenny, it's Matthew Jacobs here and it's my second time on Pieces of Eighth. Last time was just fantastic. Um, uh, we went through everything. It's, it's easily one of my favourite podcasts, especially because it focuses on the Eighth Doctor. And my name is Vanessa Yule and I am the co-director and editor on Doctor Who Am I, which is the new documentary that is coming out. and. So it's a pleasure to to be on Pieces of Eighth. I'm a I'm a first timer. So there you go. Oh. Well, we'll be gentle with you then. Oh, thank you. We always like to look after our guests. <laughs> I suppose Matthew, we'll start with asking you, maybe tell us a bit about your Doctor Who experience before the documentary came about. I mean, would it be fair to say that you were feeling maybe a little bit unloved? Oh, I was definitely I definitely felt that because um, basically. You know, we worked very hard in the, in the mid-90s to create the Eighth Doctor. And for a while there, it, it, it's not the case these days, actually, though, you know, with age, like a good wine, it's sort of improved. But um, somehow, something magical went on. People seem to like the TV movie more now than they did then. But for a while, I felt like there was definitely a contingent of certainly the American fandom um, and and the British fandom, who disregarded the Eighth Doctor and felt as though um, it was a, not only a missed opportunity, but a bungled opportunity. So that had led to me kind of distanced, distancing myself from the whole community. But then when Vanessa came up, you know, when, Ven when I was starting to be invited to conventions after the 50th, Vanessa encouraged me to make a film about this. And we, we went off on this journey that's taken us about seven years. And it ended up as a very interesting little film about the nature of fandom, the nature of story, all sorts of things. We wouldn't have got it going if it if we'd gone to the BBC. They would have made it about the show. But um, Doctor Who Am I is more than that. It most definitely is. So Vanessa, could you maybe tell us a wee bit about your background and how this documentary came about? I mean, are you a fan of this guy as I hold up the <laughs> Doctor action figure? <laughs> I, I, I love that guy. Um, I didn't know about him when we started. So my background um, is, yeah, documentary, filmmaker, editor. I work in commercials mainly, but, you know, I've worked with Matthew on a couple of his feature films. So we were friends and catching up when I learned that he had written The Eighth Doctor and Doctor Who. And so I guess I wasn't that good of a friend because I was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? Doctor Who, what are you talking about? Because in the States, I remember it from the 80s when it was on public broadcast and vague memories of Tom Baker. I was like that funny guy with the scarf. And then it'd come back and I wasn't watching it. So I then went and watched the 96 movie and I was like, this is amazing. I thought it was fantastic, but was laughing when Matthew was telling me all of the, the reviews and that he had gotten when he did write it. So I guess it just sort of started from there when Matthew was being invited to some conventions. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Um, we got to film this. And so two months later we were filming. 
that's amazing. Because it must have been quite difficult at first for you, Matthew, I'd imagine, sort of going back into that world, because it must have felt initially to yourself like reopening old scars at first, but then actually realising there's a hell of a lot of love out there, because when Doctor Who fans like something, they don't just like it, they love it. I know you're dead right. Going back initially, and, and I think you see this in the documentary, initially I'm the kind of villain of the piece. You realise that, that uh, you know, I'm humiliating people right left and centre, and threatening to draw penises on people's precious souvenirs. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm accusing fellow fellow writers of being, you know, washed up producers. <laughs> desperately trying to make a buck out of some attempt at fan fame or something. So I'm really not a very nice person, I think, for the probably the first third of the movie. And then and then slowly the American fandom worked their magic on me. It's not really about the show, it's it's about how I suddenly realise there's a family there. But and then the film goes deeper with other fan stories and my own personal stories in terms of you know, my father being involved in the gunfighters and, and other stuff like that. But I must say that Matthew's reluctance of going back into the American fandom was very real. Yeah. And, you know, he at first was like, oh, this is just going to be about the fans and not about me. But then slowly through the sort of editing and whatever else, Matthew's story. I mean, Matthew's a great, hilarious and fun person to be with and hang out with anyways. So it was like, oh, Matthew's good in front of the camera, Matthew. We need more Matthew. Matthew, Matthew, you're the glue for this. Um, and that was, a, that was a slow process to get there. But then, you know, Matthew was on board when he, you know. I, it was funny, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. because I'm not really experienced as a, I'm experienced as an actor and as a writer, and as a director, but not really as an interviewer. So I would, when I would interview people at the beginning, Vanessa, it was like you very quickly said, oh, Matthew, you should sit in front of the camera and interview because <laughs> you interrupt them so much. I'm not a good interviewer. Anyway, it took me a long time. You got better. You got a lot better. I got better. better. At the end, I, was, I turned into the sort of interviewer who just sits there and goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and people feel awkward. It was the opposite. So thank you. Back to fiction. So Vanessa, I'd imagine that when you started shooting, you must have had sort of a story in mind that you did want to tell. And how did that develop throughout the shooting process? Well, the story I wanted to tell was Matthew's story. So that was a slow process. In the beginning, what, were, what was I expecting that we were going to get? Neither of us had any idea. I mean, it was... As a concept, it would be Matthew as being a bit of a fish out of water in this fandom that he thought were going to be sharks, right? He was expecting, you know, to be attacked by these fans. And that's all we knew. And it wasn't that, I mean, we got some, you know, people telling their, their, their opinions on the Eighth Doctor and the movie. But for the most part, everyone was just delightful and wonderful. And so, you know, as the, the movie progresses to the, to the, you know, it became a much more heart or um, revealing experience than either of us could have imagined. What was interesting, yeah, absolutely. And what was interesting was 
the, the um, certainly the Long Island fans had a deeper knowledge of my father's involvement. Put together a panel about the gunfighters, um, the, the series in in '66 when my father played Doc Holden, and this became a catalyst in a way that Vanessa picked up on very quickly when she realized that I was this was something that that was a touchy subject for me that I didn't really want to do that. And I think that when that happened at the end of 2015 in Long Island, that really triggered the what is the what is the deeper narrative content of the documentary. I have you seen it yet? Did you get to see I it? I haven't yet. I'm yeah, desperate I'm to see it. I'm absolutely to desperate see. to see yeah. it. Yeah, it's a very anyway. You'll see when when you see it. I don't want to spoil it, then, but I think you'll see that not just applies to me as well. We interview other fans, and they'll suddenly talk about how watching the watching Doctor Who got them through these really painful parts of their lives or important parts of their lives, and this becomes this big, you know, how how important Paul again, you know, talks very. In, with a Yoda-like wisdom um, about the importance of narrative and myth and, and how that affects us all. I mean, he talks about it lightly, but it's not. And then he also scares me, saying, they will ask questions that you won't be able to answer. So the story emerged. But the documentary is about the Doctor Who community and yes. about fandom and so everyone will be able to identify with that but you can be a fan of anything but we made the documentary universal so it can be people who don't know anything about doctor who can watch it and enjoy it because it's you know matthew's journey through these 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 fans and it's a very positive and uplifting it's it's the positivity of fandom of how it can bring people together so you know you have my mom who knows not much about doctor who but just like loves it and at the end people want to come up to matthew and they're like matthew i just want to hug you it's <laughs> you know? really scary because there's like this this connection <laughs> that people have with it it's funny you say that because actually when the tv movie aired in britain on the 27th of may 1996 I was in the Edinburgh Doctor Who group. I was telling Matthew this before we started recording and I went through and watched it getting its BBC One premiere. And a girl came along to that to the pub that night and we so we went out for a couple of years and it didn't work out in the end, but she's now married to one of the other guys who was in that group. And she came along because of the TV movie to watch it with this group. And they got married on November the 23rd, 2013 on the 50th anniversary. So because of the TV huh. movie, there's just two people who came together and it, and it worked out for them. It didn't work out for us, but it worked out for them. And, uh, it's, and that's the thing, it's a people story more than a Doctor Who story. I think that's exactly. what's going to engage people. Exactly. And I mean, we've, I think we've been very lucky because it screened at um, Sci-Fi London Film Festival. And it was the first time that Sci-Fi London Film Festival had gone live again after the pandemic. And they were worried about whether or not people were going to turn up. And it was very much a community that turned up to that screening. Not only was my family there, but, you know, Vanessa's extended, you know, boyfriend's family, God knows what, you know, everybody was there. And then there were fans as well. And they responded to the film positively. And then what happened 
was what should happen on independent films and festivals. The word got out from the audience award that we received there and Kaleidoscope came on board, Spencer Pollard, you know, brave man. You know, most people were saying, this is a little film that we'll be lucky to see anywhere, you know what I mean? But this man has recognized that, um, and Kaleidoscope have recognized that in fact there is an audience for this. So the thing that should happen with indie films is uh, a sales agent distributor came on board then, and then we got things like Melbourne, Newport Beach, and other festivals, and a bunch of good reviews. So luckily, a, a truly independent film made for you know a very less small amount of money just by two people, really, it's the two of us, and uh, you know, and, and the person you know, Mark Leggett, who wrote the score, and you know, Dave Icahn, who did the, did the sound. It's just a very small group of people who've made this movie and now it's out there in cinemas and it's going to be out there you know on platforms it's amazing we're so happy i can tell it does come across can you maybe tell us a wee bit about some of the guests who feature in the documentary and how you enjoyed meeting up with some old friends again matthew well we certainly meet we obviously we meet up with paul that was for me was really that's the first time i'd seen him since working in vancouver with him so I was nervous. Then we also meet up with Philip Siegel, who was the executive producer. And he he's was wonderful. Like, he was wonderful. It was like meeting an old friend in the middle of the story. He's right in the middle of the movie, you know. Um, it's like after I've gone through the storm, people saying, should we kiss? Not half human, all of that. Here's the man who, who goes, oh, we were making him half human. I'm, I'm so relieved, you know. So it's meeting a kindred spirit. Then, fi then finally, I think it was the last interview, wasn't it, Vanessa? It was tracking down Eric, Eric Roberts. Oh, right. Um, he was hard to get to, but once we got to him, he's, he's wonderful. So fun. Such fun. Oh, but also Daphne. Daphne well, was kind of oh, a, a big is. reason. She was sort of like our gateway into the whole community. Daphne totally. Ashbrook. She was, Daphne. And she's just like a ball of energy. She's just wonderful. I can't wait to see her again. <laughs> She's a perfect. We watched the TV movie again with Paul at, at BritCon in Seattle, and Daphne wasn't there, but but because uh, she she had the, the COVID, um, but Eric was there and Paul was there and and you know and a few other people you know and Philip and it, to a man to to everyone and Eliza everybody. We all suddenly recognized how brilliant Daphne is as a comedian. She, her timing in the TV movie is immaculate. She's like something out of the 1940s. Perfect, you know, sort of, it's like, it's, it's, and you only really see that when you see it with the movies. It's really, she's really great. Yeah, it's the moment when the shoes fit perfectly and the doctor runs off and she just does that look on her face. That's right. It's amazing, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Uh, Vanessa, as somebody who does an awful lot of editing with words in my day job in terms of print words and in podcasts, I would imagine that you must have had a hell of a lot of hours of footage to work with. Yes, hours and hours. I mean, at least 100 or so around then, 80. It was a lot. And it was the first time I'd edited a feature. And, you know, Matthew was, you know, I give him a lot of credit 
for the trust he, he put in me to be like, okay, you need to take this now and this has to become your edit. You need to do, get to the end and, and kind of craft it. And so it was overwhelming. It was just almost like visually just a bunch of torn up colored pieces of paper. You know, it's just like how all of this data, how am I supposed to take all these little colored pieces of paper and stick them together to make a picture? And it, you know, it, it was, it was definitely a process and we kind of were working through it together in, in, in pieces, in reels as Matt would do. We broke up the film into four parts and editing the reels and stuff. So it was, it, it was a challenge and, um, a learning experience. Matthew's a screenwriter and knows a lot about story. So learning this, the story of the 3X structure of how to tell this journey, I learned a lot. I almost feel like I got my, um, my master's or PhD from <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that ended up in the cutting room floor that you would like to have included maybe now? Or are you quite happy oh, with the way it works? I think there's masses. There's masses of fan fantastic stuff because everybody, you know, Vanessa was saying it, that's the thing we have today. There's, there's the, this wonderful retired electrician um, who, who was um, um, Bill Davis, and, and he had fantastic stories about 9-11, and so did some other people have stories about that. And th that was an area that might have been interested to have been interesting to be included. Also, we went into much greater depth into the showrunners. We could have done that. You see, and there was the reason for that was because of my resistance to make it a film about me. I kept on saying, you know, let's really dig deep on this, dig deep on that. And so we would, everybody we interviewed, we must have interviewed them for about an hour or 40 minutes. So they weren't just quick interviews. They were in-depth interviews, and then we did went did you know B-roll on those people. Um, so there's so we could do an entire little TV show about the fans of America with different episodes, but that's not going to happen because <laughs> we both want to do other things. <laughs> he said after seven years. Or we need a budget. <laughs> oh, we need a budget. Or if somebody pays us to do it, then maybe yeah. If I win the lottery, I'll be in touch. Oh, great. <laughs> now, let's have a wee chat about the reaction. You mentioned to the, about the fact that it had a good reception in London, but I think I don't think I've ever seen as much universal praise for anything related to Doctor Who in years. <laughs> it's just it's been all positive comment from everything that I've seen about it, and that must yes, be. Yes, really we're waiting crazy. for the sky to fall. Oh, yeah, um, we're sitting here going. Somebody's going to come along. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm sure that, you know, you never know. I mean, it would probably be. I've worked on quite a few films, and what happens is sometimes you'll show it at festivals. Festivals will adore it, and you'll get nice reviews, wherever, places, different places. And then somebody, a Hollywood reporter, will come along, and you will think that maybe the director killed their cat um or something awful happened because you end up with a stinker so so it's it, it's inevitable it goes with the territory but you're dead right at the moment people are full of optimism about this and i think they should be because well, now more than honest. ever is the time it's an honest film there's, there's it's a feel-good film 
at the end of the day, you know. And it's time, and it's time for Doctor Who fans to start sort of getting along and proving their unity. I think, I think they do have a tremendous unity at the end. Let's have a wee chat now about the fact that it's going to become very accessible to fans over the next few weeks. How excited are you about the fact that you're getting not only a DVD release but a cinematic release as well? It's crazy. I mean, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's kind of beyond what either of us imagined. Like when we actually Kaleidoscope said that they were thinking of doing a theatrical, we were like, oh yeah, that's really? Like, wait, what? So it's sort of unheard of, especially like we're just such a, you know, uh, indie film um, to actually get a theatrical release. We're just, we're over the moon. We're thrilled. We both feel as though as well, I think, I think in on reflection, because the film is about the nature of community and the fans, it does make sense that fans could come together to watch it. It's going to be showing for, you know, one night special screenings at View Cinemas. It's certainly showing in Edinburgh. And, the, and the, there's a, well, I think we'll probably be able to give you a list that you can put on your website, or put on your site, so that you'll, uh, you'll be able to tell people exactly where it's showing. Um, that, would, that would be a good thing. I think, I think the fact that it's about a community, for people to come out and enjoy it together, it's certainly, you get that it has loud laughs. People, but mm-hmm. Every time we've shown it, there are big laughs. And then sometimes people get a little move toward the end. But it's really, a, it's, there, are, there are big laughs in it. It goes places that a TV production, you know, if the BBC had made it, they would never have made it the same way. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so it's, and, and, and of course, the big arc, the big change in the story that's there in the trailer. Is that at the end of the day, I do become a fan. And at the beginning of the story, I would rather not be a fan, and I would rather be the person who's worshipped. Um, <laughs> of course, you were mentioning there's he been said, some rather twirling good... his moustache. <laughs> 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 you villain, you you villain. You mentioned um, before we started there the fact there's been some rather good news in terms of placings and online pre-orders. Oh yeah, the oh. pre-orders have been going well, haven't they? I get updates from Matthew. I'm sitting there. Well, I'm I'm keeping a track of it because I want to make sure that the distributors know that we know right. how well it's doing. It's as simple as that. So at the moment, at the time of recording this, they just put the blu-ray up and it's number one on the blu-ray on, on blu-ray and dvd combined documentary apps sale pre-sales not pre-sales just general sales above you know Beatles get back and the bowie movie which is which is amazing it stayed there for a couple of days and and it's and as a dvd it's been in the top 10 for a couple of weeks now so we're fingers crossed this keeps going because um you know, I, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm really pleased on that front. Yeah. So, so we're in the top ten for the DVD. I haven't, I haven't checked it recently. Yeah. We're, well, we're at number eleven at the moment. Okay. I'm like one of those kids, you know. Remember <laughs> in the sixties, where is it? But you see, in the sixties or the seventies or whatever, it was every week. You'd go in and you'd look at the charts, and you'd have top of the pops in England, and it was a very simple thing. Things were at number one, or they in the top one hundred. This is pop songs. And uh, 
but but with um, DVDs, it's a little. But we were we were number one and one for a while. Oh, we were number one for good, you know, almost a week, which was amazing. We were outselling the Queen, but then <laughs> it may be that after her death, um, it may be that that um, there are only you know fifteen people with DVD players. <laughs> remaining or something like that so the sales might really be well we sold three more <laughs> or something i have no idea but listen i'll take it whatever whatever so how would you both sum up the whole experience of doctor who am i which i still think is a fantastic title when you look back <laughs> on it now wow i i think it's been a tremendous amount of work um, I, I would say neither of us knew that it would take us over seven years to finish. It was sort of a journey that we were just like, yeah, we'll go shoot something. And then it was just like, oh my God, like actually finishing a movie independently. It was, I mean, Matthew, when you see it, he's, he gives everything, reveals a lot about himself and it goes to very personal places. Um, and then I guess behind the screen, just the process of editing and just all of the post-production, the producing that we've done, the directing or whatever, just to get it to where it is, it's been more work than I ever thought it would be. It was so it's, it's quite satisfying that people are going to see it. I, must I think say. that's a, I think you've you hit the nail on the head. It's a sense of achievement at the moment that, uh, and truly a validation of our love, our ultimate love of the fans, that also, I think, validation of the collaboration between Vanessa and myself. That, for me, that's the biggest thing in, um, in terms of if I was to mark out my life in decades, in this particular decade, I've been mm -hmm. working with Vanessa. And to have a collaboration that crosses the generations as well, and a working collaboration, you know what I mean? It's not like it's we have our own lives. Um, it's a very, it's a very, um, that's, that's the important thing for me. It's been amazing. I really cannot wait to see it. And I'll be watching on the big screen. And of course, I will message you and I'll tweet you both just to let you know. <laughs> okay. How much oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having us today. Yes, thank really you. Great. It's it been an delightful. It's, I say, Matthew knows how much the film means to me. Um, I spend so much time doing these podcasts with, uh, with this guy holds up the action figure again and uh, <laughs> it's been a real joy so thank you both for your time oh well, thank, thank you. you so what are you going to do are you going to go to the cinema or wait for it to come out to buy well i quite like to go and see it at the cinema i think it gives that a bit of an extra experience um so yes fingers crossed it will be showing around here matthew um, as he said in the episode says it's showing in edinburgh so i may have to make a trip through to my old stomping ground where i used to work and that would be quite yeah it'd be quite nice to go and uh, we see it in the big screen. Given that I first saw the TV movie, well, I bought it in Edinburgh uh, on VHS, and then I watched it on TV in Edinburgh, as I just said there. So yeah, I think I might do that. What about you? Um, I think I'm probably going to wait for it to come out because I don't really like going to the cinema, but that's a me problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have this thing where I can't focus on things for long enough. Being in a dark room with nothing to occupy my mind with apart from what's going on does not help. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that does make sense. So yeah, next time, yeah. so next time we're going to stick with the TV movie, aren't we? 
Indeed we are, because we're going to be chatting with a huge fan of Doctor Who, a man who knows his an unearthly child from his frontier in space, Gemini... G- Gemini? <laughs> Jeremy Raddick. Yes. <laughs> you might not instantly recognise his name, but he played Gareth, the security guard in the TV movie, the one who the Doctor advises on answering questions and is exact. Now, Jeremy was an amazing interviewee, a genuine, proper fan like us, for whom working in the movie was a dream come true as a fan and an actor. But uh, that's another story for next time, and it's absolutely amazing. But also, he had heard of this podcast before we actually spoke to him. I'm not sure whether that's exciting or terrifying or both. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's definitely. Sorry, yes, it is. But I guess we must be doing something right. I would hope so. And if you've enjoyed this week's Pieces of Eight, or indeed any episode we've done previously, please do leave a review for us on iTunes, as it means more people can find our episodes. And it's always appreciated. So, until next time, I'm still Rebecca Chapman. (laughs) And I'm still Kenny Smith. And I'm glad the people at home can't see what's on your shelf. (laughs) What's on my shelf? Have a look behind your head. Don't see what it is, though. Oh! That... Good job, it's an audio podcast. <laughs> we just had to have recorded the whole thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just thought it. Anyway, thanks for joining listeners, and you will never know what is in Becca's shelf. Although I'm sure a few guesses can be made. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye, Becca. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>